Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, I chose an episode of Lights Out, entitled The Dream. Lights Out was created by Willis Cooper in 1934 and billed as The Ultimate in Horror. Cooper pulled no punches when it came to sound effects, chopping carrots in two to make the sound of fingers being snapped off, or frying bacon to simulate sizzle of a body being savagely electrocuted. In 1936, Arch Obler replaced Willis Cooper as head writer and became something of a legend himself. Over the next two years, Obler wrote and directed over 100 Lights Out plays. It was during his tenure on Lights Out that Obler developed many of his signature storytelling techniques. Stream of consciousness, dialogue repetition, metafictional humor, and the blending of the fantastical and the political. Lights Out ended in 1938, but the show was revived again for a brief run in 1942. Obler would return to Lights Out many times during his career, including the 1962 album Drop Dead and the 1970s syndicated radio series The Devil and Mr. O. To mark the fourth anniversary of Lights Out, the network invited Boris Karloff to star in five consecutive scripts, beginning with the episode you're about to hear, The Dream. The other four scripts were False Triste, Cat Wife, Three Matches, and Night on the Mountain. Now, let's listen to The Dream from Lights Out, originally broadcast March 23rd, 1938. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Tonight is the fourth anniversary of Lights Out. After four years of fantasy and imagination, chills and thrills... Lights Out celebrates by bringing to the microphone the internationally known actor whose name has become synonymous with the unusual and fantastic. The National Broadcasting Company takes pleasure in presenting Boris Karloff in the first of a special series of Lights Out broadcasts. Lights Out, everybody. Lights Out presents another psychological drama, a play in which the principal part is taken not by the character himself, but his thoughts. The voice you are about to hear is that of the thoughts of one Daryl Hall, accused murderer, sitting in a courtroom awaiting the return of a jury, which is to decide whether he is to live or die. 
And as he waits, the thoughts in his mind seethe and swirl. Seethe and swirl. Seethe and swirl. Not guilty. Guilty. Not guilty. Guilty. Father in heaven, why don't I stop thinking those words? Words those jurymen are saying. He's guilty. He's not guilty. He's guilty. Not guilty. Guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. No, no, I've got to stop thinking of what's going on in that room. The jurymen. I've got to stop thinking of them. I've got to keep my head clear. I've got to figure things out. When did all this start? Yes. I remember. That night, Wayne and I were sitting in my room, talking about dreams. I remember he said... Oh, come on, Daryl. Don't expect me to believe that one. Well, I'm certainly telling you the truth. A fellow with your imagination wasting his time teaching biology to a bunch of co-ed nitwits. No, sir, you should be writing fiction. <laughs> I assure you, my dear Wayne, I've told you the truth. You're really serious? Of course I am. You actually mean that in all your life you've never had a dream? Never. Not even when you were a child? To my knowledge, I've never had a dream in all my life. Well, how do you like that? <laughs> I like it very well. <laughs> I close my eyes, oblivion, and then I wake up. No nightmare hangovers for me, thanks. Now, uh, now, wait a minute, Daryl. Let me get this straight. You mean you've never even had a dream after, uh, you know, eating a Welsh rare bit at midnight or surrounding a dozen green apples or anything like that? <laughs> Believe me, Wayne. I've never had a dream of any shape, form, or description in all my life. A dream to me is just a word. Something that happens to other people, but not to me. But everyone must dream. Well, perhaps. But it just so happens that my subconscious doesn't work that way. I tell you again, I have never dreamt. Well, what do you know about that? Just unbelievable, I tell you. Unbelievable. Yes, that's what he said. Unbelievable. It was unbelievable that I'd never dreamt. Then after a while he went away and left me there. It was early evening. But I remember that somehow, strangely, I was very tired. I sat down in the easy chair. Oh, I was so tired. I closed my eyes. I slept. And then, then it happened. A strange murmuring in my head. Yes. That's how it started. A murmuring as if in warning. And then in, in the darkness around me, strange faces lifting and falling. White faces. Faces without hope. Their eyes full of horror. Their white bloodless lips pleading wordlessly in a way that made the heart of me cry out in pity. And suddenly... I knew I was asleep and dreaming. Yes, dreaming for the first time in my life. And these faces I was seeing were things out of a dream. And even as I knew that, the dream was gone. Blackness. And yet I knew that I was still asleep. And I had a terrible feeling of foreboding of a horror to come in that dream. What? How? I didn't know, but I wanted to stop sleeping. I wanted to open my eyes quickly before. And then I saw her moving 
slowly toward me out of the darkness that was my dream. At first, a white wraith-like thing. And I saw it was a woman. Yes, the body of a woman, but the face. Father in heaven, that face. Gross, unclean, thick, bestial brows, wrinkles of venery. The lecherous writhing of thin crimson lips that lifted from teeth, bite and pointed, and flecked with blood. Yes, a glorious body, and a face from hell. Closer, closer to me. And then she spoke one word. Kill. Yes, that's what she said. Kill. And as she said it, she moved closer. Her hands went out, her eyes in my dream, I screamed. I awoke. I remember. Just at that second, the clock on the mantel began striking. Five, six, seven. Thankfully, I counted each chime, since the hearing of it meant that I was awake. Awake out of the horror of that dream. When the clock had stopped chiming, I sat there. My one thought was, if this be dreaming, let me never dream again. I heard a sound. What was that? I sat still, afraid to move. And then I laughed. It was my own heart. My own heart. Still pounding with fright at what I'd seen in my first dream. Oh, why do I sit here thinking of what has been? The jury in there, they've got to hang me. Free him. They've got to hang me. No, no, I mustn't think of that. Better to keep my thoughts on how it all started. Better to figure things out. Where was I? Ah, yes. Sitting there, listening to the beating of my heart. Thinking of the horror of that dream. And then, suddenly, as strange, wordless murmur I had heard in my dream was whispering in my head again. Quickly as it began, it was gone. How could this be? I was awake. Awake. This was no dream. Then why had I heard that wordless entreaty? That same sound that had come from those miserable white faces that had floated before me while I slept. Why? Why? I heard it. Down behind me, who? Why, yes, my friend Wayne. Must be he. Come back into the room, standing behind my chair, thinking I was asleep. I turned round and said, Wayne, is that you? <laughs> yes. I screamed. I screamed so loudly there was blood in my throat. For it was she again. That woman. That woman out of my dream. But this wasn't a dream. She was standing there, I tell you. She was standing there close to me, looking at me. And those lips out of hell said that one word. Ew. I jumped to my feet. No one in the room. No one, I tell you. I remember standing there. My head reeling. 
Who was she? Where did she come from? But there was no one in the room. Had there been anyone there? I didn't sleep that night. But by morning, yes, by morning, I had it all figured out. Two dreams. That's what it had been. And the second had been more vivid than the first. Why, of course. I'd never dreamed before. So, of course, my first dreams would seem reality. How easy it was to quiet the unrest in my mind. Easy to make oneself believe what one wants to believe. And yet, some measure of uncertainty remained with me. And Mary saw it in my face when I had dinner with her that night. Mind if I ask you something? What, what a question. Of course not. Is there something wrong? Oh, you mean with the dinner? Well, you know, this is my favorite restaurant. With you, dear. Has something gone wrong at the university? Why do you ask that? The worry in your eyes. Oh. What is it, dear? Oh, it's nothing. It's nothing important. You've changed your mind about loving me? Mary. Then tell me what it is, please. All right. It's really nothing to concern yourself over. Just a... a dream. Dream? Sarah, you dreamed. Yes. Last night. How marvelous. Now you're normal even when you sleep. <laughs> That's right, isn't it? I'm back to normal, dear. <laughs> and here I thought from the expression on your face that it was something really important. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? And I suppose in your first dream you dreamt of a... <laughs> Glorious, seductive woman. No, Mary. Ah, did you have a nightmare? If you don't mind, let's... Let's not talk about it anymore. Shall we have our dessert now? Now, I suggest the hot green apple pie with cheese. Daryl, was it as bad as all that? Horrible. Oh, that's cruel. Your very first dream, an unhappy one. Oh, well, I'm sure that if you dream again, you've more interesting times ahead. Oh, dear, look at the time. A minute to seven, and we promised the Armstrongs we'd pick them up at 7.15. Daryl, what is it? Your face. Do you hear it? Hear what? You do hear it, don't you? The voices. What? Daryl, what are you talking about? Well, the people in this restaurant are most well-behaved. Gone. Just the way it was before. Daryl, please, if this is a joke, please tell it to me. <gasps> Daryl, what is it? What are you staring at? What's behind my chair? What's there, Daryl? Tell me what's behind. <laughs> Daryl, the table. Why did you throw over the table? Daryl, what is it? What is it? Why did you scream like that? What's the matter with you, Daryl? Yes, she wanted to know why I had done it. Screamed thrown over the table. They all wanted to know. But how could I tell them, tell them of her, standing behind Mary's chair, that thing of degradation, and those lips saying, kill. I went home. Mary thought I was overworked. Oh, no, darling, you've been working so hard. Go home and rest, dear. That's all you need, rest. Rest, rest. What good was rest? I had to reason things out. All my life I'd lived with reason, and now this, this horror. I had to know all about it. Now I was certain it was no dream. What I had seen there in the restaurant had been no thing of sleep. 
hallucination. Yes, that was it. I had been working hard. Too much work was the answer, and rest would cure that. Yes, indeed. And so I rested through the next day. It was quite dark when I awoke. The phone rang. It was Mary calling to find out how I felt. Are you sure you're all right, Daryl? Why, yes, Mary, yes. I'm fine, thank you. You sound all right. Your advice was good, dear. Apparently, rest was just what I needed. Then go along back to bed. I'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, dear. Thanks for calling. Goodbye, Daryl. Sleep well tonight. I hung up the receiver. And then the clock on the mantel behind me began striking... It had been seven when it had happened. And then, with the last chime of the clock, I realized it was seven again. Seven! Would I see her again? I stood there, back against the wall, waiting. So quiet, I could hear the clock ticking away the seconds. Would it happen again, this hallucination of mine? I waited. I heard no pitiful murmur of voices. Just... Quiet. So dark in the room, I could see the shadowy emptiness of a chair near the other wall. And then the chair was no longer empty. There was someone in it. I said, who's there? Answer me, who's there? No answer. The strange darkness in the room. Deeper and deeper, I could see nothing. And then... Two swirling pools of flame led right. Closer and closer. I stood there. I couldn't move. Rumbling began in my brain. Fear, I tell you. Fear tearing up my brain louder and louder while those red circles of light came closer and closer. Father in heaven, what was it? Run! And then I knew it was her eyes. Her eyes burning close into mine, into the brain of me, pounding one thought into me. Why did she say that? Why? Kill whom? Why should I kill? Why should I kill? If I had known then. The jury. They're coming back. The verdict, what? No, not yet. Still out. Oh, they've got to find me guilty. I've got to hang. I've got to. If I live... Oh, but I mustn't think of that. I must think of what happened. Where was I? Ah, yes. That, that woman. Her eyes pounding that word into me and then... Gone again. But this was no dream. Then What? A voice within me whispered, Crazy, crazy, crazy. No, I was mistaken. That horror was real, real as the breath of me. And with that realization, the coldness as of a wind blew around me and clutched at my heart. For if she was reality, somehow I knew that I was lost. And so it began. Night after night, the stroke of seven. First, 
that wailing dirge of those lost souls. And then her writhing lips. People would see this madness that had come over me. I went nowhere. And soon I knew that they were talking of me. I tell you, I don't know come over, Daryl. Hides in his rooms, won't even talk to me. Something's wrong there. Oh, Mary. Please, Daryl, you've got to let me see you. This talking over the poor Lord. Darling, what's wrong? What's wrong? And night after night, the horror of... And the greater horror of... I didn't want to go, but I went that night. Perhaps she could help. Yes, help me understand the madness of those wailing voices and drifting white faces. Understand the horror of that woman and that maddening word. Mary, so understanding, so gentle, she could help me clear my head of the madness. Oh, you're here at last. Help me. You will help me. Oh, Daryl, your face so white. Oh, I... Don't talk yet. Sit here and rest. I'm sane, Mary. Believe me, I'm sane. Of course, dearest. Of course you are. That madness outside of me. Those white, drifting faces moaning at rest, me. Rest, darling. And that woman out of hell. Woman? Her eyes and lips telling me to... What time is it? At seven. <gasps> Daryl, what is it? I've lost track. I've got to get out of here. Daryl, don't. Wait. Don't go. Too late. Daryl, what is it? Too late. Late. You hear them, don't you, Mary? I'll go call a doctor. Listen to them. Their voices are so loud tonight. Listen, Mary. Daryl, don't. There's no one here. You hear them. You must hear them. What are they saying? Louder and louder, trying to tell me something. What are you saying, you out there? What are you saying? Voices gone. Now she'll be here. Oh, Daryl, please, you're right, make me. You hear her, Mary? You hear her? No, no, Daryl, please. Louder and louder and louder. I hear her. Take out of hand so bad I can. Make a stop, Mary. Make a stop. Stop it. She devil, you. What do you want to be? Stop it. Stop it. Yes. I had killed her. 
My sweet, gentle little man. Killed her with my own hand. I opened my hand. She fell to the floor. I went out into the street. People all around me, hurrying. I was in no hurry. What that woman had wanted, I had done. I had killed. I walked all night. It didn't matter where. And in the morning, I found myself on the campus of the school, before the very building in which a class was waiting for my lecture. I went in. I walked up on the platform and looked down into their faces. I said to them, Ladies and gentlemen, my lecture for today will be on the subject of the selective factor in the evolutionary. I stopped. A murmur in the air. Those voices again. But it was broad daylight. I'd never heard those voices in daylight before. What did they want of me? What were they saying? There was a strangeness in their pitiful voices. Yes, like... Yes, like a dirge, a dirge of tears and sorrow for someone. For me, yes, for me. And then... Her voice, laughing, laughing, triumphant. And I understood. For the first time, I understood everything. She had triumphed over me. That was why those lost souls were waving a dirge over me. I was hers. Hers forever. society for my crime, she would fail. I would be free of her, that thing, that essence of evil, that siren who called men to murder so that their souls would be slaves to her for all eternity. Yes, yes, I'd pay for my crime. I ran on, on, back to Mary's house. Yes, I'd pay it gladly with my life to have the peace of the rest of oblivion. I went back into the house. Yes. Mary was lying there, cold. I lifted her. Those same hands that had crushed the life out of her lifted her and carried her out into the sun. My eyes were so filled with tears that I could hardly see where I walked. People began milling about me. He's got a woman in his arms. Well, where's he carrying her? She must have fainted. No, look, he's dead. What? Who killed her? Who killed her? 
With my own hands, I killed her. And please, I want to die for that. And then the trial. My friends, they wanted to save me. Clever eternities, sanity commissions and twists of the law. But I wanted to die, I tell you, I had to die. If they set me free, if I lived and died as most men die, the death they call a natural one, then she would have me. No, no, I want to hang by the neck until dead. I want that noose around my neck, the trap beneath my feet, the jailer pulled for switch. My feet dancing in air, the noose strangling me, my hands strangled Mary. Free for my cry but I'll be free. Free of that horror with the writhing lips, blood-stained teeth. All in the court. All in the court. The jury. They're coming in. Guilty. They've got to find me. Gentlemen of the jury, have you reached the verdict? We have, Your Honor. Guilty. The clerk of the court will read the verdict, please. Guilty. jury, find the defendant guilty of murder in the first degree. no use. This man is dead. Heart attack. Holy. Would you take a look at his face? Yeah. As if he was looking at the devil himself. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard the first play in a special series commemorating the fourth anniversary of Lights Out and starring Boris Karloff. Next week, Mr. Karloff will appear in another new air drama by Arch Obler, a play suggested by the Sibelius musical composition, Waltz Triest. It is a story of death and a revenge beyond death. Listen to Lights Out with Boris Karloff.
Lights Out, written especially for radio by Arch Obler, comes to you each Wednesday evening from our Chicago studios. That was The Dream from Lights Out, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. So that was my pick this week. Uh, It's been a while since I've had a pick. I've been sacrificing my picks for a while in lieu of uh, listener requests. Not as magnanimous as it appears. It's more lazy than anything. (laughs) Oh, you know, it'd be easier, a listener pick. (laughs) This came about because I was trying to go to sleep, and I go to sleep by listening to old-time radio, and usually I pick a, a CBS radio mystery theater because by the time he says, come in, I'm asleep. Um... And uh, YouTube makes suggestions at you, uh, which is a little disturbing for me in, at 53. I still don't understand how the internet knows me so well, but uh, there's all sorts of shopping options that they're right about, and they're just right a lot. And so YouTube popped this thing up, said, recommendations for you, and here was Lights Out with Boris Karloff, and I said, yeah, let's listen to that. And I was just mesmerized by this episode. I had never heard it before. So I wrote Joshua that night while I was laying in bed. I said, hey, can we do this one? <laughs> I was like, stop texting me while you're laying in bed at night. <laughs> so that's how this came about. So this is a YouTube listener request. Yeah, it really is. This, so thanks, YouTube, for the request. So yeah, there's a lot in here that I find fascinating. But I was also really curious to see what you guys thought. And I want to start with Joshua because I want to know... Really quickly, had you heard this before? Years ago, I didn't even remember it. Again, I had it as a B-side on a cassette when I was a kid with something that I loved way more because I was a kid. It was like Revolt of the Worms. It was something with a giant monster, and this one was (laughs) Boris Karloff talking and talking, (laughs) and it didn't appeal to me, and that's all I remembered about it. And then you'd never heard it? No, no. Okay, great. So now, that being said, I'm curious. What would you think? What was your take on it? Let me start with Tim because he'd never heard it. I really liked it. I really, listening to it, I was like, this is Arch Obler. This is a <laughs> lot of Arch Obler being really good at being Arch Obler. And it was an interesting contrast because in the last, I don't know, month or so, month and a half, we've been listening to, we heard a couple episodes from Lucille Fletcher, who was a phenomenally good writer, and Willis Cooper not that long ago, who was phenomenally good. And Arch Ober is so different than both of them. He's not the craftsman. He is a ham-fisted, blunt object of, like, <laughs> I'm just going to make this scary through force of will. It's a combination of Boris Karloff is really good. Whoever the kill lady actress was, like, yeah, right. that was pretty impressive. And it's just horrifying because it is truly horrifying. It's not because the plot, all these stakes are there. It's just because it's an eerie, creepy experience. Mm-hmm. The reason Obler is as lauded as he is is because he knows how to make a script scary on the radio. Mm-hmm. Like, the script itself, as usual, it's style over substance. But that's a criticism of nothing, most of Arch Obler's. Right. That's exactly what stuff. this is. There's yeah. nothing plot wise that's really happening. This is, as Tim was saying, pretty much a checklist of Obler's favorite tropes. And favorite because they're really effective. Uh, he does stream of conscious, the overlapping dialogue, um, the chorus of dialogue that comes in. It's non linear storytelling that moves back and forth in time that disorients you and keeps you on your toes as a listener. And 
I think we were talking last week with the shadow about uh, acting choices of going small and quiet when something's supposed to be scary. And yeah. Obler, as a director, does that a lot uh, with his actors. And uh, mm-hmm. talking about the woman, I don't know the actor's name, yeah. who played the demon-headed uh, woman who just did... With the great body? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would just say, kill. Just really soft, really quiet. And and then when she's laughing, like, wah! <laughs> she's not fooling around, yeah. And so it was a really interesting performance choice and really effective. It was the first thing that happened that made me want to bring this to the podcast was when the woman said kill. And I almost sat up in bed <laughs> on my headphones. Like, whoa, that's an incredible choice. I don't think the script is all that interesting. I think that... The choices of how to present this and the actors themselves made this wonderfully interesting, scary. And it's because him thinking, are they going to come back guilty or not guilty? That's in the script. That's okay. So what? But to hear in his head the oh, jurors their voices, saying, yeah. their voice is going guilty, guilty, guilty. It mm-hmm. creates. And it's as you said, Arch Obler knows how to write for radio. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. And Boris Karloff, this is really a half-hour monologue in a lot of ways. And this performance was so well done. You feel he really is remorseful, that he really is terrified, that he really is confused. That There is no reading in here. It feels like watching a man that's being torn apart. I do want to give some, some kudos to the script. I don't want to shortchange it. The setup of a person who has never dreamed in their life. Okay. That's yeah. a great setup. That's a the great... problem is it's just a setup. Well, two after, different scripts. Like, after it, that, it's basically Telltale Heart. I mean, it's running on that yeah. engine. But that's what drives me a little nuts about this. If I have one complaint, is that that is a high concept. That's mm-hmm. a big, strange promise to open with to mm-hmm. completely abandon. There is no explicit connection between the fact that he's never dreamed before and then having and, a dream, that... and then pretty soon you realize it's not a dream. He's literally being haunted by these voices. Correct. This could easily start with him just having a dream that slips into being in his waking hours too. Mm-hmm. It'd be the same story. To me, is a really distracting <laughs> I agree. introduction. It's why I say I'm not in love with the script. I'm in yeah. love with the presentation of this piece and the performance of this piece, and it scared me. I interrupted Tim, so I apologize. And maybe Tim has some insight in how it is threaded through the entire way and can make me re- <laughs> rethink no, no, this. And I didn't mean to dip it all over didn't you. Bother me. I liked it because it made it such that, for me, the introduction of this creature into his life, because he doesn't know what a dream is or isn't, he just sort of assumed this must be what dreams are. Right. And going back to what Joshua said, they really came out of the gate swinging with a, a home run because the concept of someone who's never dreamed before stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. Here's what I kept thinking. How do you explain that to somebody? (laughs) I looked it up, by the way. There are people that don't remember their dreams, but they're pretty sure everybody does. But the concept of dreaming is an impossible thing to explain to somebody. Think, how are you going to explain this? And then these pictures and these things these yeah, random things happen in my head like a memory but sometimes it's nonsense and... right like we are flipping the channels so i love the concept that someone's never dreamed has a dream and josh was right that could be the story that he's having this dream and it's freaking him out at 30 40 50 years old he finally has a dream he's like whoa what is this oh that's that is this a dream and not knowing then 
where the dream ends and when reality begins because he's never had it might be an effective plot line that would be really interesting to explore. But I think he's right that they kind of abandon it for a supernatural being that's possessing him. Now, that being said, again, I forgive that because of the presentation and performance of this. Yeah. Just listening to her say kill. I guess, you know what? All this is about is that woman saying kill. <laughs> I think there's more to it than that, but it's, it's very effective. It's extremely effective. Uh, this is also a story, we've talked about the structure before, of uh, starting a show out with a little flash forward into your script that... 95% of the time we don't care for. Uh, and I think this is one of that right. small minority where it works well because there is the twist of you think, he's anxious about the verdict, but you think he wants not guilty when you find yeah. out, no, I want to be sentenced to hang. That's a nice twist. Mm-hmm. And the murmuring voices, A, back to just radio, it's creepy. Mm-hmm. But when you realize it's an actual plot point, you think it's just atmosphere. It's just uh, audio color that they're adding uh, right. for the dream. But then when, when you're like, they've been trying to warn him this entire time, and he couldn't make out what they were saying yep. until it was too late. It's a little bit of a contrivance, but that specific plot point of you need to receive justice. So it's not just you can hang yourself and be fine. It's like you need to be go to trial, be found mm-hmm. guilty, and be killed. Right. But you have to be killed by... The justice system, because yeah. the implication is a natural death, even though he was convicted, right. is still going to result in him being part of the murmur choir for all of eternity. Oh, choir for <laughs> eternity. Oh. <laughs> always at seven. That was an interesting thing that it always happened at seven o'clock. It's Obler's obsession with repetition. um, And it allows a repetition of a line. Um, It allows Mm -hmm. the repetition of the sound effect of the clocks going off everywhere. I don't think there's any significance. I appreciated that it was seven o'clock because that's a real easy time to forget and be somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Like if it's 3 a.m., like if you're somewhere else at 3 a.m., that's on purpose. But seven. That trope yeah. was used a lot, too, in horror, that the horror happens at the same time every night. Uh, Amityville Horror was 3.15 in the morning, every morning. It so. allows that sense of dread as uh-huh. you get closer and closer Correct. to the zero hour. Although one of the things I found interesting about this, it's about justice, but she just creates this loophole for him. It is not actually about him ever repenting. He says he wants to hang for it, but it's only because he finds out that there's something worse. He right. doesn't seem that upset by anything. He kills his girlfriend or fiance or whoever she is. It's unclear what their relationship status is. And then goes off and has a lecture at the university. Uh, <laughs> that was a nice scene, too, of standing up in front of these kids and actually starts his lecture. Yeah, after yep. murdering her. It's not until he hears these voices murmuring at him that he actually fakes some sort of repentance, or it seems false repentance, that he runs back, finds her dead body, and walks to the street with it, which is a powerful radio image because really with just some crowd voice and some street sounds, you can just visualize that so clearly. Mm-hmm. Boris Karloff stumbling with the strangled woman while the crowd has to slowly figure out what's happening. Mm-hmm. Well, as far as repentance, part of me thought that this trial was going to end in a not guilty by reason of insanity. I did too. I thought that he wasn't going to get it. Uh, just based on how responsible is he really, like, it is his actions, yes, but he, there's a lot of self-fulfilling prophecy on Demon Lady's part. Mm-hmm. I thought the horror 
at the end of this would come from him just being found not guilty. It would be, no, 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 how can you do this to me? Now yeah. I'm damned to this yeah. murmur choir. <laughs> so I guess you can see this connection a little stronger than I originally gave it credit for of the man who never dreamed. You can read this, that he had a dream, had never dreamt before, and was just continuing to have dreams and was so freaked out by them that it just drove him to madness. I'm right. really stretching it now. I'm really trying to no, fill in ahead, some backstory. Because <laughs> I think that's secretly what I want it to be. So I can't right. tell whether I'm really seeing something that's there or seeing what I want to be there. I took it the other way of, I think it was like the second time he saw her, and it was broad daylight. And what is this? How could this be? Yeah. And gone that he dismissed it by saying, it must have been a dream. Yeah. Didn't anybody else get thrown by the first few sentences of this when we found out his name was Daryl Hall? <laughs> I kept thinking about John Oates. I assume that's who he's talking to in the beginning when he's <laughs> saying how he, he never dreams. And John Oates like, get Come out on. of here. Not even, not even when you eat rare bit? <laughs> The other thing that's fascinating to me about this episode is the very end when they say the next episode is Val Triste. Mm -hmm. Because I, as I wrote down, wow, lights out, you were on a roll. <laughs> that was a couple of great episodes in a row you guys had. Yeah. And then Catwife. Cat <laughs> was Catwife third? Yeah. Was, really? That was part of the Boris Karloff five, Catwife? Yeah. But Catwife had been done previously. <laughs> oh, it, was was, it was a hit. Five. <laughs> <laughs> the Karloff five. Smashing Boris Karloff and four younger Boris Karloffs in jumpsuits dancing around and singing. <laughs> so what's what's new about that? <laughs> See, you do know what a dream is. Yeah. <laughs> I also think it's interesting and indicative of how Obler was creating some of these modes of radio storytelling in that we have the opening announcer who says a play in which the principal part is taken not by the character himself, but his thoughts. It's almost like they're setting this up. They want to make sure in 1938 that no one thinks this is Boris Karloff talking out loud to everybody mm. during right. the whole yeah. play. And they did that, something very similar in uh, It Happened. Yeah. At the top, they say you'll hear not only her voice, but the thoughts in her head. That's right. So it cues me in to think that this was maybe a, a little more experimental um, or wasn't done as frequently, or at least they were worried that people wouldn't get it. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's the equivalent of a stage aside, only you don't get the visual of someone walking downstage. Mm -hmm. And you have to teach the listeners to be able to delineate between an internal monologue and talking to Mary at the restaurant. Should we vote? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have more thoughts? No. You and your 18 pages of notes over there? No, I think I can vote. <laughs> what do you say? It's tough. The dream thing just makes me mad for, <laughs> for reasons that are totally subjective. There are yep. other failings of scripts that I easily forgive. Um, mm. But I'm torn because it is so well produced and so mm. well realized for radio. So I would say the production... It definitely stands the test of time. It still feels innovative, but it's hard for me to forgive such a high concept as the, a man who's never dreamed that they hit so hard at the top and abandoned. And maybe, you know, in a different mood, I would be, it's, it's a brave 
bait and switch, you know. <laughs> but now I'm like, ah, it's annoying. It feels like he was in bed talking into a dictaphone. <laughs> he wrote the script. <laughs> As we've said, 90% often, true. <laughs> it, it felt like he was nodding off to sleep and forgot his own thread. So I'm irked by it, but I think it stands the test of time. <laughs> oh, I definitely think it stands the test of time. I think, like I said, this is uh, all of Archilber's strengths, and Archilber is a very strong writer. Uh, and particularly just creating horror on the radio, which saying that out loud sounds, yes, he wrote horror for the radio, but he's really, really good at creating that feeling of ickiness. Wow, that sounds bad too. <laughs> like he's a really icky man. Good job. Uh, I don't know if I would call it a classic though, and uh, similar to a couple weeks ago and talking about Lucille Fletcher, like this was a great script, she did a great job, but it wasn't really waving the classic flag. <laughs> And this, too, I think, was not waving the classic flag. I want to design (laughs) the flag and we can sell it. On our threadless shop. On our threadless shop. If you would like to wave your classic flag. (laughs) You designed that for me so I can have a flag? Is this going to be a white flag? This is classic. I'm not going to do a lot of work. (laughs) But sure. This classic flag is not so much a classic. It's going to be in Comic Sans font, too. It's just going to be the (laughs) laziest thing ever. And at like eight point. It's going to be <laughs> yeah. very small. Uh, stands the test of time. I loved the performance. I loved the production value. I agree with Joshua on uh, script deviance and forgetting the thread, but I really, really enjoyed it a lot. It's, it's hard to give it the classic, but it certainly was wonderful to listen to on a stormy night in my bed and had all the things I want in laying down and listening to an old-time radio story. And so uh, for that, I loved it. I agree with that. Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. Other episodes can be found there. You can also leave comments and episodes. Let us know what you thought. Respond to other people who left comments. You'll find links to our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram. See what stuff we have there. And you can also leave us a message if you'd like us to listen to any particular episode. Have it on the show. We'll give that a whirl eventually. You can go to patreon.com slash themorals and support this podcast. Uh, We do so appreciate everyone who already supports the podcast and uh, welcome others to do so as well. (laughs) We've got um, some great rewards. We have a Secrets of the Mysterious Old Time Radio uh, podcast um, with our sort of offbeat choices to discuss. Uh, So uh, that's available to everybody who pitches in $5 or more. And we've got t-shirts and we've got buttons and we've got membership cards. We've got everything you could possibly want. Unless you're weird. (laughs) (laughs) You can also go to iTunes and write a review. Please write a review. It's pretty easy. Patreons are going to get a classic flag. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Coming up next is a listener request from Clarence. And he has asked us to listen to The Masks of Azure from Hall of Fantasy. Until then... Look out! Here, here, here.